0: Shatter the stigma, mend the mind. Welcome to the live broadcast of Talk Revolution, hosted by Dr. Paul Sambataro, neurocognitive scientist, author, and retired school psychologist. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Talk Revolution. This is our sixth broadcast on BBS radio. We are here today to discuss current topics with new perspective based on cognitive function. This is Talk Revolution, keeping the fires of innovation, pioneering, and our shared culture of giving burning for future generations. The orientation of these discussions is to bring to light the importance of the underlying foundation to solving our most social problems Disabilities, poverty, violence, crime, and all those society ills we rail against, but with little regard to consequence and the efficacy of treatment. Today's podcast episode is focused on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, which I will reference in this podcast simply as FASD. This is a call-in podcast. You may at any time... Feel free to call in with any questions you may have in regards to cognitive function, uh, our program, our emotional budgeting program, uh, and of course, any questions you may have concerning fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Please call toll-free 888-627-6008 and in Canada or direct 323-744-4831. I'd like to begin with identifying before we uh discuss f a s d like to reiterate why again this is important. you will understand by the time we get done with this podcast today those reasons I've used this topic in this podcast as one of those as an example of things that impact how we react to issues, and what those issues really are, the behaviors that we contend with, and how we resolve them now, and how we could move to resolve them in the future. So again, what is FASD? Fetal alcohol spectrum disorders is an umbrella term describing the range of effects that can occur in an individual who is exposed to alcohol during the ninth month prenatal period before birth. These effects may include physical, mental, behavioral, and or learning disabilities with a possible lifelong implications. The term FASD is not intended for use as a clinical diagnosis. There are other terms that are used, including that, so that is one In association, and again, uh, for example, fetal alcohol syndrome (FAS), partial fetal alcohol syndrome (PFAS), neurobehavioral disorder associated with prenatal alcohol exposure, alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder (ARND), and other terms that are out of use, though maybe. alcohol related birth defects arbd and fetal alcohol alcohol effect fae so these are older terms the most important being the understanding of fasd is that it is it is one of those subtle medical issues that have Defined some of the m- most burning social questions of behavior. But the underlying cause, which is absolutely the most preventable, is simply the alcohol, the consumption of alcohol caused, uh, caused by women drinking alcohol during pregnancy. Alcohol in the mother's blood passes to the baby through the umbilical cord. When a woman drinks alcohol, so, so does her baby. That is why it is the most, one of the most preventable uh, outcomes of this disorder. And it's a tragedy because it is preventable. But before we get into more about FASD, I'd like to introduce uh, some of the sources that I'll be using tonight. First one is CDC as uh, a great deal. They put a great deal of effort, um, research, and have uh, a, much of their information is online. They have a great deal of uh, good information, and because they too they recognize this as being a hundred percent preventable, and so. Is well worth the effort to put the information out there to prevent this disorder. Another person I'd like to mention is Ann Strith Guth, who is from the University of Washington and is one of the the first cannot say the the first but one of the most influential uh, professors and researchers to bring together complete. And thorough understanding of the impact, not only the what it is, the definitions, and how what the impacts are, but also ways to diagnose and, although there uh, there is no treatment, ways to support these individuals. So again, let's uh, one more uh, information. Uh, I'd like to introduce, and that is the what I would like to hopefully the audience will gain an understanding that this, in the end, is brain trauma, perhaps not as direct as TBI, uh, trauma that has been induced by injury, but in a sense, the development and the impact can be seen to be uh, related to some of those that we see that are done physically. So brain trauma is an outcome, is a potential outcome of FASD. And we will discuss some of that based on the authors of Philistine and Joshua Kindle, uh, psychological trauma and the developing brain. So those are the sources that I mainly use today as well as, I myself have a dissertation on FASD and the juvenile system. And so it is of great interest to myself, but also uh, the understanding of the impact on society. So to begin, alcohol consumption, whether it be from social or uh, situations or self-medication, Uh, by individuals can lead to FASD in in a a child or a thing. FASD caused by a woman drinking alcohol during pregnancy, the alcohol in the mother's blood passes to the baby through the umbilical cord. So it's the, the essential part about alcohol is that it, passes through what we call the blood barrier that protects the brain and when the baby is in the womb it, normally there is a protection of there is some protection through that but when it travels through the umbilical cord and the woman drinks alcohol so does her baby. There is no known safe amount of alcohol during pregnancy or when trying to get pregnant. There is no safe time to drink during pregnancy. Alcohol can cause problems for developing babies throughout pregnancy, including before a woman knows she's pregnant. All types of alcohol are equally harmful, including all wines and beer. So this is extremely important to understand that cells can be damaged and are likely damaged with the consumption of alcohol alcohol, by nature kills cells. And when it passes through the blood barrier protection of the brain and equally the possible barrier or through the umbilical cord to the fetus, then it too uh, is swathed in alcohol which kills cells. And the younger the fetus, there is a great chance that it can also harm a cells that are associated with the development of a great deal more cells. In other words, if you're harming stem cells or those cells that develop and split off into, then the greater the damage could possibly be. To prevent FASD, a woman should not drink alcohol while she is pregnant. Or when she might get pregnant. This is because a woman could get pregnant and not know for up to four to six weeks. And in the United States, it is noted through on the CDC statistics, nearly half of pregnancies are unplanned. So that means that half of these pregnancies have the potential for someone to drink without knowing that they are pregnant in those first four to six weeks. This is why not only the CDC, but those who've seen the effects of alcohol uh, during pregnancy and the FASD, the result of FASD and the impact on individuals and society, communities. This is why this becomes an urgent, preventable manner. If a woman is drinking alcohol during pregnancy, it's never too late to stop drinking because brain growth takes place throughout pregnancy. The sooner a woman stops drinking, the safer it will be for her and her baby. And that's the bottom end of preventing prevention. FASDs are completely preventable if a woman does not drink alcohol during pregnancy. So there really is no reason to risk, and there is no, there is no safe limit, and there is—it's a lottery ticket uh, on what possible effects there may be. There may be some, there may be a lot, there may be none, but it's taking a chance. The danger in drinking with early pregnancy are the potential damage to stems and growth cells influencing the multitude brain tissue development. Obviously the more alcohol consumed, the more likely brain damage to the brain tissue will occur. When damage to the brain tissue occurs, it is now a medical diagnosis, not a mental health disorder, rather a trauma with physical damage to the brain. This brain trauma due to the consumption of alcohol while pregnant can result in secondary symptoms impacting cognitive functioning, and the subsequent adverse behaviors. So now we begin to see that what we may be looking at in our vision are the adverse behaviors. But underneath, if it's FASD, if it is the result, then we're looking at brain trauma. We're looking at a medical condition. As a resultant of those adverse behaviors in much the same way of TBI. And we now know that, for example, football players uh, have realized themselves and in society, some have effects of trauma to the brain and from that adverse behaviors and how much is from the trauma of, concussions or how much is from other uh, issues from prior to concussions that is a, that takes a much more in-depth diagnosis. but the issues the impact of those behaviors are can have been diagnosed as coming from concussions and in this way, we now can relate, the brain trauma of FASD and the secondary symptoms of those individuals that suffer from the medical condition. This is how Talk revolution is trying to take a look at how we look at individuals, not simply as the behaviors we see, but the, medical conditions that cause them in the same way that now we are finally just looking at the behaviors of some football players who have suffered from multiple concussions may be suffering from brain trauma and brain damage. Signs and symptoms. FASD refers to the whole range of effects that can happen to a person whose mother drank alcohol during pregnancy. These conditions can affect each person in different ways and can range from mild to severe. A person with FASD might have abnormal facial features, such as a smooth ridge between nose and upper lip, small head size, shorter than average height, low body weight, poor condition, hyperactive behavior, difficulty with attention, poor memory, difficulty in school, especially with math, learning disability, speech and language delays, intellectual disability or low IQ, poor reasoning and judgment skills, sleep and problems as a baby, vision and hearing problems, problems with heart, kidneys and bones. So each of these is, can be associated with difficulty meeting developmental milestones. And as the child develops, becomes more and more noticeable. For example, the extended, the temper tantrum that was now cute as a toddler is extended into adulthood and now looks like a salt. The line extended into adulthood now looks like deflective behavior and defiance. Lack of motivation under stimulation can look like defiance. Overstimulation can look like aggressive behavior. Attention deficits issues associated with short-term memory are now associated with school uh, issues, PTSD issues, when associated with being vulnerable, especially in social circumstance, can intensify the vulnerability of this population as they have difficulties with association and social functions are now susceptible to making poor judgment and winding up inevitably in the judicial system. So I would like to go over some of those before we discuss the consequence. I'd like to go over some of those items that are the milestones. And this is not to say that an individual, and I know personally, does not have a great deal of positive to offer. In fact, it's just the opposite. There are a lot of positive attributes for children, for adults, but when there is not the awareness with the lack of awareness is a lack of understanding for themselves and from others. Then the likelihood that the negative adverse behaviors will outweigh their positive attributes at some point. So some of the things that Anne Streisguth from University of Washington points out with the age, with the developmental, and I'll just name briefly through that, uh, infancy and ages birth through five years, there is poor, there's difficulty sleeping, a general failure to thrive, delays in walking, talking, and toilet training distractibility, difficulty following directions. And this I've noticed follows generally through a lifetime. Uh, This general difficulty following directions associated with some of the other um, brain trauma. We'll get into that just briefly. Difficulty adapting to change. So that sounds familiar, somewhat uh, issues with other disabilities. Irritability, temper tantrums. And I briefly mentioned that when temper tantrums are not developed, when one doesn't develop through that, it quickly looks like assault as they get older. So some of the recommendations, if and when this is noticed, uh, ages birth through five years. Early identification or intervention from birth for foster parents, education of parents, careful monitoring, safe and stable structured home, uh, placement of child in preschool, Uh, respite for caregivers is actually a very important one because now we're really looking at 24 seven care for this individual to assure monitoring and safe behaviors. And adapt environment to child with moderate stimulation simple, concrete directions, consistent and limited rules. So these actually are can be shared across other disorders as well, but this is the development. From 6 to 11, children easily influence in difficulty predicting and <coughs> or understanding consequences. This also seems to be a lifetime pattern and will, is noticeable in adults, appearance of capability without actual abilities. In other words, there's an appearance that they're capable and functional and function is the name of our, what we uh, strive to uh, work back from the appearance of capability without actual abilities. So people can be fooled. Inappropriate sexual behavior, difficulty, separating fact from fantasy. This can result in, or as a result from disassociation, this is a result from uh, possibly uh, the depending on the brain damage or other genetic dispositions such as bipolar. Temper tantrums, again, uh, continuing temper tantrums, lying, stealing, disobedience, and defiance of authority—greatly very associated with this brain trauma in these years. So, this is a uh, has I have uh, through our program to for us lying, stealing, and disobedience is another strategy on part of problem solving for them obviously it's not what we consider appropriate problem solving but in a way because of the difficulties and the cognitive functioning issues it is the FASD person who is impacted by FASD's way of problem solving and the lack of consequence is obviously that the problem solving method is not appropriate and not long-lasting because the lack of consequence of how they Solve a problem is not considered except for immediate gratification. Delayed physical and cognitive development, hyperactivity, memory deficits, impulsivity, poor comprehension of social rules and expectations. Again, 12 to 17, we continue on with some of that. Let me just... Uh, Briefly go through some of the recommendations at that age, uh, safe, stable environment, structured home. That's the consistency, structure, 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 appropriate education, uh, awareness of help, uh, caregivers, awareness, parental awareness, and support, awareness of those who are in support of this medical condition. Not A mental health disorder, those are secondary, but a physical uh, trauma that is a medical condition. The use of clear and concrete, predictable, immediate. So there needs to be a response, needs to be calm, concrete, and immediate. And there needs to be a liaison that is helpful to cross both medical, educational, and parent for everyone to be on the same team so that it increases the structure around that child the three we call it a 360 wraparound, but it, it also provides the same consistency of response to that child so that a child is not trying to elicit a greater uh, response from one individual over another and using one against the other as an authority figure. Adolescents, ages 12 to 17, again, the adverse impacts. Lying, stealing, vandalism. Lying, stealing, vandalism, trouble with the law. Faulty logic, decompensation, egocentricity. That, again, is the internalization of problems. Egocentricity, we call it narcissism, but it really is part of the medical issue. Difficulty comprehending, responding appropriately to others' feelings, needs and desires again is what it's that inside look, the internalization of everything around them. Impulsivity, aggressiveness, unpredictable behavior, low self esteem and motivation academic ceilings, low reading, sometimes spelling, especially math, depression, and suicidal ideation. So now we're referring, now that we get to self-medication, possible self-medication behaviors, alcohol and other drug abuse, inappropriate sexual behavior. Again, that goes back to crossing boundaries, not understanding social cues, and being a vulnerable population they are vulnerable because of these their medical issue and so obviously the consequences the consequences of this is the likelihood that they will end up in some sort of either uh, juvenile delinquency or adult prison because that then the law takes over as part of the structure in which they have crossed some sort of legal boundary. So recommendations for this age group, again, uh, the medical support, the educational support, implementing and planning, if possible, their residential placement, their financial and vocational and technical training, appropriate health mental health interventions as needed safe and uh, safe and stable structured homes and environment so structure structure so if they are not getting structure if there is a lack of structure around them 360 degree then the alternative structure is the very structured structural legal system of which prison is and juvenile delinquent homes represent so this would be a natural place in which everything is done and their choices are limited and while it's not a happy place the structure in itself would result in being a calming force for the brain that is uh, feeling stress from an unstructured situation this is the danger of what we will discuss um, about cognitive function, the danger of the brain seeking structure and the behavior that follows. Adulthood, so some of these and all of these can follow the child through adulthood, but here we have poor comprehension, social expectations, economic difficulty with economic support and protection job training and placement, depression and suicidal ideation and attempts, pregnancy and fathering a child, social, sexual, and financial exploitation. Again, being vulnerable as well as having those issues and being in a group that opens up that opportunity. Withdrawal and social isolation, so that can be as well a problem. Unpredictable and impulsive behavior. So again, we're looking at self-gratification without consequence. These are things that normally we learn when we're toddlers. And the same with a temper tantrum, when we don't get what we want, when these are development milestones are not met, then when we see these in older students or adults, it becomes more likely assault or it looks like uh, crossing legal boundaries and winding up in prison. There are a multitude of there are a multitude of statistics, and I am not going to go through them today. That indicate the level of participation of individuals with FASD in the prison population it is staggering, because now it is not necessarily separated by. FASD diagnosis because there is a lack of diagnosis of this disorder, but overall lumped together as mental health issues. And I will just briefly mention that through my dissertation research, between 60 and 80% have been recognized, whether they are juvenile delinquents moving through the system to adult prison system. To begin, they have been diagnosed or known that there are 60 to 80% of the population has some mental health issue, disorder, and many of those are likely, even though they have probably gone undiagnosed, they are likely to have been impacted by a medical condition of FASD that is totally preventable. And thus, we follow the consequence of what started out as a simple form of social behaviors that have now erupted, or the very possibility of it being self medication. And self medication is something we discussed earlier in how what drive what possibly can drive that through emotional needs and the result of cognitive functioning and we will bring that up from time to time but i would like you to refer back to earlier podcasts in which we are looking at that emotional processing and how that is impacts across all of these topics And FASD is but one example of the mental health issues that we are noting as we follow it through our society and system and ends up with it not only costing the individual his or her life in an institution such as a prison, but ends up hurting us as we pay for it for a lifetime. This is a lifetime issue. This is not, this is a medical trauma to the brain that is not going to get better with talk therapy. It's not going to get better with pills. Secondary symptoms can be mitigated, can be worked through, but the medical trauma of brain damage is not going to be repaired. All that we can do is support That individual, so he or she can have the opportunity to display their positive attributes over the negative impact of the brain damage, of the potential brain damage. So now we are working to provide this individual with awareness, with a support awareness, and so on. So we will move on to treatment. And the CDC makes a point that FASD lasts a lifetime. It's a medical condition, a medical, a brain, trauma to the brain and damage. There is no cure for FASD. It's Once the damage is done, currently we do not have the technique to repair that cell damage to the cells of the brain. But research shows that early intervention treatment services can improve a child's development, which ultimately, for all of those who are counting the budget, not only the emotional budget, but the financial budget, you will now possibly recognize that we can reduce the cost of a lifetime commitment, not only through prevention and lowering the overall, but if There is a result of FASD. Now we can understand and prevent the cost of a lifetime individual being in prison. There are many types of treatment options, including medication, to help with some symptoms, behavior and education therapy, parent training, and other alternative approaches. No one treatment is right for every child, but good treatment plans will include close monitoring, follow-ups, and changes as needed along the way. Protective factors can reduce the effects of FASD. They include diagnosis before the six years of age, loving, nurturing, and stable home environment during the school years, structure, 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 the absence of violence, which goes along with the ad, the close monitoring of socializing so they're not put in a harm's way of a bully, and they do not become the bullying person. Involvement in special education and social service as needed, which implies an evaluation. When doctors and healthcare providers are involved, medication can uh, provide individuals with relief of symptoms possibly ranging from attention deficit, hyperactive disorder. We've mentioned depression and potential symptoms. So we're back to the brain trauma and the possible result of depression and the suicidal ideation. So medication would be important in this. But also, again, we're back to awareness. How to help this individual be aware that not only their vulnerabilities but at the same time providing strength so we can point out through evaluations, yes, you may, as an individual who is impacted by FASD, have these issues. But here's what we can do. Here are the strategies and pathways to provide the support for you so that you can be the person you want to be. It may be a struggle, it may not be easy. But here we all understand and we are going to work with you and your awareness knowing that you have to work as well and with that again we call that far far and fast functional awareness and responsibility understanding the functional being aware and now the responsibility of understanding and being aware of that condition if we are not aware then how can an individual, if an individual is not aware that they have a medical condition, a brain injury, not due to anything they did as an individual, but due to the circumstances of their mother or parents, both included, then how are they to be aware of why they behave the way they do? How can they know the steps and precautions and prevention and the support they need to move ahead with the positive attributes that they surely have. How are they to know that? How is anyone to know that this is the issue in which they need the support? And without that knowledge, and along comes the adverse consequences of their behaviors and into prison they go and no one knows the difference and no one perhaps cares after that point. And yet all of this is preventable. And if not preventable, it is at least with understanding and awareness that they can be moved through society in the same way that anyone with a disability, how much level of support do they need? What can we do just to provide? And it's going to be efficiently and effectively cheaper than just throwing them in a box even if that's something that they are comfortable in because of the structure surrounding them, that is not the potential of an individual. And that is why we have evaluations in our education system to provide the support, the educational support along the way, to give the optimum, to allow for the individual to meet their optimum level wherever that may be. So help and support. I've discussed some of that already. If you or the doctor thinks that there could be a problem, ask the doctor. This is from the CDC again, suggestion for a referral to a specialist, someone who knows about FASD, which is not exactly always as easy as it may seem, but such as a developmental pediatrician, child psychologist, clinical geneticist. Depending on where you are, if a rural area, it may be harder. There are clinics whose staff have special training in diagnosing. So not perhaps everywhere, but it's a start. In Washington State, they have, uh, in Seattle, an excellent clinic, which I mentioned, and Streitguth was very instrumental in starting and has had wide success there in that area. In other states, there may be similar clinics, and it's something that uh, at least the identification will provide a pathway for that individual to move forward with their lives, as well as the support surrounding them. At the same time, as you ask the doctor for a referral to a specialist, call your state, early intervention program to request a free evaluation. This goes along with some of the school system districts and I'm not aware of every state's ability or every district's, but early, find, early child find can sometimes provide this insight to evaluation and assist in gaining some of that 360 degree wraparound services that may be essential to a child's start in life if they have been diagnosed with it, if they have the behaviors and may need a diagnosis or an ability to evaluate for a diagnosis of this disorder. You do not always need to wait for a doctor's referral to be, but can find out if the school is willing with the issues if the school is willing, education system is willing to, uh, make those assist in that evaluation. If your child is younger than three years old call again, you can call the, sometimes they have an early intervention program and you can relay the fact that I have concerns about my child's development. I would like to have my child evaluated, etc. If your child is three years and older, Then contacting the local public school system again, uh, even if your child is not old enough for a kindergarten enrolled in public school, uh, you may have an early uh, child find evaluation plan in place. And again, I am familiar with some of Washington states, but not necessarily uh, every state and how they effective that plan. So advocate strategies before we move on. Um, So there are advocate strategies. Alcohol and other problems. Again, there's having knowledge of the mother uh, issues. If she did drink alcohol, obviously. Um, Obviously, it's they're going to be a susceptibility to something that they've already been, uh, and this goes along for other drugs like um, that maybe has been introduced into the fetus, such as meth or other drugs, may interact with the development of of the brain, and the brain will be swapped in alcohol or other drug substance, which means that there is already a predisposition of the neural development system that is attuned to those chemicals already. So those neural development synapses may not develop in the way, in the absence of those drugs. In other words, if the drugs are present, those synapses may develop, may be stunted or not developed in the way they would if there was the normal, normal development without the medical, or without the drugs and alcohol and, and the other drugs that usually are not there. And that difference in the synaptic development can be attributable to not only the nervous system development and brain development, but also the possible later addiction in that individual because now the brain at that early age will have had the in contact and will know will have grown around that use. So as it gets older, it may feel as if there's a perpetual withdrawal issues of that individual and seeking the approach seeking that self medication will be a behavior that will may be uh, extremely difficult around that individual's feelings. And this gets back to our brain trauma. Brain trauma, in part, and I want to get, really just talk about a simple system as it's a very complicated, again, we've discussed in other podcasts what this uh, influences. I'd like to really um, just bring up what the results So, for example, we have brain trauma, but from that, we will possibly include PTSD from that, not only the trauma of the brain injury, but also from being vulnerable population. And this plays into the limbic system that we discussed earlier and all of the what the results of this stress. We haven't really talked about stress and anxiety that will accompany the difficulty that the brain is now trying to resolve by reaching, meeting the environmental demands. So when people are demanding uh, responses, appropriate responses, when the environment is demanding uh, the appropriate response in education, and the brain is failing to meet those demands, then behavior follows. And this can in part be attributed to the two-memory system, briefly, because it's so relevant to the cognitive functioning that we've discussed over and over but I wanted to briefly describe some of what, uh, how trauma disrupts memory. Memory is essentially a reconstructive process. And this is again from the researchers, Phyllis Stein and Joshua Kendall in their book, The Psychological Trauma in the Developing Brain. Memory is essentially a reconstructive process requiring the coordination of many brain circuits. So our mind first breaks down a given experience into components, such as the location, time of day and emotional tone, and physical characteristics of people involved. This gets back to why we have developed our program, because this is what the normal mind is working to do in a in a normal cognitive functional way. Normally the conscious memory system and the unconscious memory system work together. And so what we're looking at is when one part of the brain puts things into the automatic system. So automatically we will do certain things. And when from the conscious mind, if it's repetitive enough, we will continue, we will learn to put it in the automatic portion of our memory so that it just keeps doing the same thing. And when it doesn't, when the brains are not as well connected and there's a developmental issue and there's been trauma and damage, then that portion of the brain, not only are we experiencing short-term, possible short-term memory in which uh, there are issues of having a memory for the short-term functions of our needs, we are now not, the brain that is damaged is not encapsulating that portion of it back into the automatic. So now, every the request we had yesterday in the re- is going to be with the same difficulty, met with the same difficulty with a person experiencing FASD, as it is the next day and the next day because the pattern of synaptic formation is for the nerves to be the pathways to be regenerative when they are practiced when the nerves start to repeat and the same nerve endings have the same stimulus and then they are now able to work in a pattern So that when the stimulus, the question arises and the demand, the environmental demand arises, then the stimulus is met with the same brain pattern. And when that is not possible, when the brain damage is such, then it becomes a groundhog day for not only the individual has to rework that same demand. Now, for the person who is requesting it, there is a loss of. Ability to understand why that person is struggling with the same issue that was yesterday. And that's the pattern, the breakdown of pattern in going from the conscious to the unconscious and the ability for it to be automatically applied. So that person not only is struggling with what they did yesterday, but now having to redo the same thing today. And the problem solving methods are, again, to take the shortcuts deflect, deflecting behavior, uh, inability to respond, and making up uh, a situation to fill the gaps in memory or in action. And so this, there is compensation, but the negatives, uh, the behaviors are the adverse impact of those immediate compensations by the individual. So again, we can see where emotional budget, which we talked about, reflects how the program works with, can work with people, uh, children, students who have been impacted by FASD or, in uh, in some cases, brain trauma, where there is the difficulty of organizing. Their emotions in the moment, because we have examined those behaviors, and the developmental struggles that are not that have been damaged by the uh, the alcohol and creating the brain damage, and so what we end up with is the difficulty of taking that emotional information, or any information at that part, organizing it, and then filing it away in the long-term or functional part of that brain so it becomes automatic. When this doesn't happen over and over, then the frustration level can arise, then we have the whole stress and anxiety association with the physiological reaction and the behavior follows the adverse impact, the adverse behaviors follow the inability of the brain to meet the environmental demands, which include education, parental and expectations from everyone to institutions. And this is the breakdown that we describe in so many disorders or so many situations, or even on a common level when we have an event that impacts our ability to organize our emotional thoughts. Even for those of us in the general population or those of us who are less impacted by a disorder, it is the same for us in given moments that eases our ability to, something that would ease our ability to organize our emotional thoughts so that we can problem solve. And when individuals who have suffered brain damage a greater issue of problem solving then there's a greater issue of and there's likely a greater issue of behavior adverse behaviors so that's why again this is another form of where cognitive functioning is an example of where the impact on the cognitive functioning while it is not from the same reason or the same cause. The impact on behavior can be is similar to the impact of the behaviors following in other instances, because that thread of cognitive functioning is the important part of why our emotional budgeting program is meant to help many individuals across many issues of emotional processing, whether it's from autistic issues or from a normal event, from a a tragic event to a, a FASD, the underlying foundation is to support the cognitive function so that behavior follows. If we try in this situation, with individuals from FASD. We try to change their behaviors and expect their function, cognitive function abilities to increase. We may or may not be successful. And with 60 to 80% of those with mental health issues and juvenile delinquents, in juvenile delinquency or in prisons then I think we can safely assume that there has been a failure in the ability to, for us to change behavior, to reflect the cognitive change and increase the cognitive abilities is rather the philosophy and the theories and the results that emotional budgeting starts with the fundamental cognitive functioning so that behavior will follow, and now we have the ability to um, function, we have awareness, and we have the individuals taking responsibility because now there is an awareness of what their issues are. So it is a team, team effort. We are simply working from the basement up, laying the foundation so that we can, as a team, work together. My next podcast will lead a discussion of diet and how we, our perceptions of food and the emotional budget program. Consultations are available through my website, www.emotionalbudgeting.com for parents, caregivers, individuals, and educators. Copies of the book are available digitally on Kindle and in paperback on Amazon.com. Welcome to the Brain Revolution. Until next time, this is Dr. Paul Sambataro. Consultations are available through emotionalbudgeting.com for parents, caregivers, individuals, and educators copies of the book are available digitally on kindle and in paperback on amazon.com welcome to the brain revolution until next time